You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi. This week, I figured I'm going to break format just a little bit with an Arts Madness special. We're on the final round of the tournament, and we're also currently having the Airwave Media Network survey happening. I thought this would be a good opportunity to test out some other changes and get some feedback. You can tell me what you like or what I can improve about the show by filling out the network survey at surveymonkey.com slash r slash airwave. This week, I thought I'd try two changes. I have some new software, so I'm trying out some different ways of tweaking the tone on the vocals, and I'm going to try a little soundscaping with background music. If you go to surveymonkey.com slash r slash airwave, you can let me know if you like these changes or if you prefer the old sound as I had it in recent episodes like the one I did about Elizabeth Vigée Lebrun, which I'll link in the show notes for anyone who doesn't want to look back through the feed. Now, on with the show. I feel like who art ed? Who art is Mr. Wood art ed me? Either way, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. Welcome to Who Arted Weekly Art History for All Ages. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and today we've got a mini episode covering the final round of this year's Arts Madness Tournament. Over the last few weeks, we've had thousands of votes cast, narrowing the field from 64 diverse artists down to just two, Leonardo da Vinci and Vincent van Gogh. I find it really interesting that these two would be the final two, as today they're considered among the most famous and beloved artists, but they were also underdogs in a very real way. I think if they were around today, both men would be quite shocked at their legendary status. Let's start with Leonardo da Vinci. From the beginning, let's just look at his name. Da Vinci isn't really a last name so much as a prepositional phrase, meaning he's from Vinci. That's because Leonardo could not take on his father's name. His parents were not married. Leonardo was raised until the age of five by his biological mother in the small village of Vinci before he went off to live with his father and stepmother. Now, in Renaissance Italy, there was a distinct social hierarchy. People would join different guilds, which were basically trade unions, but different guilds were open to people of different social status. While Leonardo could live with his father, he could not inherit the name, the estate, or the status. 
Leonardo spent much of his childhood exploring the countryside, studying nature, and imagining a world where humans could fly like birds or swim like fish. Leonardo always showed talent as an artist. His father introduced him to an artist, Andrea del Verrocchio, who accepted the boy as an apprentice. Verrocchio was the official sculptor for the Medici family. He had learned from Donatello, one of the greatest sculptors of the Italian Renaissance. When you hear that Leonardo was accepted as an apprentice in Verrocchio's studio, that was an opportunity, but it wasn't a cushy gig. Leonardo would have worked his way up, likely starting off doing menial jobs in the studio before beginning to mix paints for the other artists, then doing master studies, which was basically just making copies of works, before he would get the opportunity to work alongside Verrocchio. There's an old story that Leonardo was working side by side with Verrocchio painting a massive mural. Verrocchio asked Leonardo to begin work painting some angels based on his sketch, and when Verrocchio saw Leonardo's painting, he was awestruck and knew that he had been surpassed by his student. I'm sure there's a kernel of truth in there, as Leonardo did gain a reputation as a phenomenal painter, and certainly today his fame has eclipsed that of his old teacher. But Verrocchio and Leonardo worked together for several years. Historians have closely examined many works by Verrocchio, finding elements that were likely contributions from Leonardo. One thing I have found in my research is that Verrocchio likely helped to shape Leonardo's style by imparting upon the young student the expressive qualities of hands and understanding the skeletal and muscular structure supporting the figure. Verrocchio would urge young artists to consider not only how the clothing was draped, but consider the muscles and forms underneath the fabric in order to understand how everything is held together. After apprenticing for nine years, Leonardo left Verrocchio's studio. He was a young man in his 20s, but he had gained a reputation as an incredible artist. Unfortunately, his reputation was tarnished as he was sued multiple times for taking payment without finishing his work. Leonardo was known to frustrate many of his clients because he would spend years on a piece, as in the case of The Last Supper. In fact, he only seemed to find motivation to complete that work when he was threatened with legal action and withheld payment. His reputation was also sullied by rumors about his personal life. In 1476, Leonardo was put on trial for being gay, which at the time would have been punishable by death. He was acquitted when no witnesses showed up at the trial, but some point to that experience as the reason he never married, shunning personal relationships to devote himself to his career. Today, Leonardo is remembered for his beautiful paintings, his careful study, but also his innovation. One of his biggest contributions to the arts was the development of his sfumato technique. Sfumato might be translated as smoky. He would smudge and blur things in the distance while rendering the focal point in the foreground in sharper focus with 
brighter colors and higher contrast. Today, we would call this technique atmospheric perspective. Leonardo was not only an artist, but an innovator and a scientist. His notebooks were filled with sketches of all sorts of inventions, ideas for city planning, and perhaps due in some part to Verrocchio's emphasis on the need to understand underlying structures, Leonardo created numerous anatomical sketches from dissections. While dissection is a regular part of scientific study today, Leonardo would dig up bodies in the dead of night because the practice was taboo, and I would have to say probably another strike against him and his reputation in certain segments of society. Despite these facts of his life that ran contrary to the social mores of the day, Leonardo was an undeniable talent. Artists admired his work and sought to learn his techniques. Wealthy patrons would look past the frustrations of his slow and often scattered work habits. Because when he did finish the works, they were truly awesome. His final patron was King Francois I of France. The story goes that Leonardo and King Francois became good friends in the final years as Leonardo was the court painter. Leonardo brought the Mona Lisa with him when he went to France and left the painting to the king when he died. Interestingly, a young Italian named Vincenzo Perugio, who didn't seem to understand that bit of history, thought that Napoleon had stolen the Mona Lisa from Italy. So Perugia stole the painting from the Louvre in 1911, and it was that theft and the headlines generated over two years while it was missing, which helped catapult the Mona Lisa from one of several great Renaissance paintings to the most famous painting in the world. Now, after the break, we're going to look at the other great painter in the finals, Vincent van Gogh. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I've said before that Vincent van Gogh, while famous and widely celebrated today, was also an unlikely icon of the art world. Vincent had very little commercial success as an artist during his lifetime. It's often said that during his lifetime, he only sold one painting, but the truth is that he had a little bit more success than that. 
While he didn't get the level of success he would have liked, we know of a few paintings he sold, and Vincent also bartered, which is, of course, a form of sale. But I think this story really summarizes the level of clout that Vincent van Gogh had during his lifetime, and the reverence people had for his work in that era. Vincent van Gogh once gave a portrait he painted to his doctor, Dr. Ray. The good doctor politely accepted it, but he said he hated the piece so much, rather than hang it in his home, he used it to patch a hole in a chicken coop, or maybe it was a fence, something along those lines. Anyways, some years later, that painting would sell at auction for tens of millions of dollars. But Vincent van Gogh never saw those kinds of prices for his works. He saw his paintings brushed aside. Growing up, art was the van Gogh family business. His uncle, his brother, and early on even Vincent were all art dealers. Vincent was actually a rather successful art dealer, and his sister-in-law described that period of his life as the happiest she had ever seen Vincent van Gogh. But Vincent became disillusioned with the commercialization of art, and that's a tough view to hold when you sell it for a living. For a while, he thought of becoming a priest. Vincent studied but failed the exams for seminary school. He did a bit of missionary work, but apparently he was told that his conduct was undignified and unbecoming of a missionary as he gave up his lodging to a homeless person. It was relatively late in life that Vincent van Gogh came to painting, but when he did, he committed himself wholly to art. In his early days, he studied the peasants. His first masterpiece was the potato eaters. It was a relatively dark palette, giving the piece a more somber tone. When Vincent pressed his brother Theo, asking why he couldn't sell the painting, Theo urged him to go to Paris and adopt a brighter palette like the Impressionists. Theo was actually one of the few art dealers supporting the Impressionist movement, and that made other artists like Gauguin more open to build relationships with Vincent, partly as a way of gaining access to Theo. In fact, Theo forwarded payment and promised to sell a number of Gauguin's paintings as a way to entice him to join Vincent in the south of France, where Van Gogh had dreamed of starting an artist's colony. Of course, that dream became a nightmare as Vincent Van Gogh and Paul Gauguin had a volatile relationship. Vincent was suffering some sort of mental illness exacerbated by his poor physical health. Vincent van Gogh was obsessed with art and painting to such a degree that he would often ignore his basic needs, opting to spend his money on paint rather than food. He lost several teeth due to his poor health, and after a mental breakdown in which his ear was severed and he very nearly died, he was brought for treatment at a small hospital in Saint-Rémy. The initial plan was for Vincent to go to a public hospital with nearly a thousand patients, but faithfully, Theo opted instead to send his brother to Saint-Rémy, where a progressive doctor and staff cared for just around 40 patients. 
This was the most productive period of Vincent van Gogh's career. He was given structure, removed from his vices, and fed three meals a day. In addition, his doctor believed that patients under his care would benefit from being close to nature. So Vincent was encouraged to walk the grounds, enjoying the garden, and within the asylum, he was given two rooms, one to sleep in and one to use as his studio. It was here that he painted the starry night. This was a creative leap as much as it was the result of careful study and observation. Vincent van Gogh created this composition by combining views out his window from different times of night and early morning hours. The small village was not visible from his window, but van Gogh places it nestled in the base of the rolling hills. While the cypress tree was quite distant and would have appeared rather small from his window, Vincent pulled it forward in the picture plane, making it larger so it not only has more visual weight, but it helps to create a visual pathway pointing the viewer's eye up into the sky where it can follow the pulsating brush strokes like a great wave rolling across that sky. The eye ambles down and to the right towards that sloped horizon and those hills that lead us into the village and back to that cypress. The balance, the unity, the rhythm and movement all create a work that holds the viewer's attention. And as I've said so many times, the more we look, the more we find to appreciate. So there you have it. For our final round, we have two incredibly innovative and brilliant artists who rose to prominence despite immense hurdles and social stigmas. Which do you think deserves to come out on top? Go to whoartedpodcast.com slash vote to tell me which one is your favorite, and I'd love to know why. In next week's episode, when I announce the winner, I'd love to also be able to share a few of your insights as to why that artist deserved to come out on top. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted, part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you found this tolerable, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week on social media at Who Arted Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, on the website, whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.